Welcome, good morning. I'm waving to those kids for them to, to get ready with their palm fronds, but they are not looking at me. <laughs> All right, here we are. Let's stand together and worship. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the
you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, this Palm Sunday, we gather and worship you. We know, Father, this event was a huge thing. Eons of planning on your part, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you and you alone. We commit ourselves to you and open ourselves to your spirit today. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. And a happy Palm Sunday from Kid Street. It sure is nice to be back together again. We celebrate a couple of reasons. We're finally back in Kid Street, right? We get to come to Sunday school at 9.30 and be together. And it's Palm Sunday, so that was added celebration today. Kind of seems silly to cut a branch and wave it in the air, right? What do we normally do when we're having a party and we want to celebrate? Do we ever put decorations up when it's somebody's birthday? Yeah. Do, does somebody maybe fill balloons? Yeah. yeah. How about noisemakers? Do you ever blow those noisemakers like on, uh, on New Year's Eve? You go hurt like that and blow those noisemakers, yeah? Yeah, that, well, they didn't have those hanging around, but they were happy. They wanted to show how happy they were, right? So they just cut branches off of whatever they had close and, and waved them. They were, they were right to be in a good mood to see Jesus. He was there to save them. Save not only them, save all of us. This week we'll celebrate the Easter week and we'll, we'll get together next Sunday and celebrate Easter Sunday, right? We didn't get to have our parade today, but I was so glad we got to parade in uh, with uh, our congregation for worship. So let us celebrate the fact that Jesus has entered Jerusalem, entered our hearts to save us. Bow with me. Dear Lord, we, we are in awe of your plan that you came down to live on earth to show us how to love one another. Help us to share that love with those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. worship with us on this beautiful Palm Sunday morning.
truth that's older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus, Jesus. Who walks on the waters, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire beside me. He
with me. Dear Lord, we take this time to return a a portion of all the blessings you've given us and return them for your use. Help us to seek your will as we give of our tithes and offerings, our time and our talents, our energy, that we may use it to further your kingdom in our community, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. and band. We're so glad to have you back. We're back. It's been 
over a year before we've had full services. We're trying again, and the variants aren't going to get in our way this time. We're going to do this, but we are so glad to have you here. This is Palm Sunday. You are joining tens of millions of Christians around the world doing this very thing, worshiping, celebrating Jesus' choice to enter into Jerusalem. Some people say he was just a victim of circumstances. That's not the case at all. Jesus chose to enter into Jerusalem. Jesus was a smart guy. He could read the political winds. He knew what would happen. In fact, his disciples warned him not to go back into Jerusalem because they knew what would happen. He had made all the wrong people angry. Jesus didn't really intend to make people angry. He just did because he upset everything. He challenged people's beliefs. And he gave us a chance to break free from the old structures and and be different and be free. So we celebrate that today. We're glad you're here. Open your Bibles with me if you would this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Skill in our schedule. Make time for Jesus. Today we're talking about some of the most important things. There are many important things. Even in the faith, there are a list of things that are important today. And next week we talk about the most important things. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep your Bibles open to that passage if you would. As always, we pray. We pray for our nation, divided by so many forces. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray that we can stand together, that we can see beyond the rhetoric and see our neighbors and friends for who they are, people just like us. Pray for those that struggle against the pandemic, still some, some struggling. I have a good friend who's had the COVID-19 for, for three months now. He was in the ICU for 66 days, intubated. He's been out for three weeks can't go home because they can't swallow. His body forgot. So he has to learn all over again. There are many, many thousands struggling just like that. So pray for them if you would. You don't have to know them. And pray that our nation can get ourselves back together. That we can function. That we can celebrate. That we can get on with our life. And hopefully we'll have learned something from all of this. Join me in prayer please. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this joyous occasion, the celebration of Jesus entering to Jerusalem. Thank you, Father, for giving him the courage and the devotion to do what had to be done. Only he could do this for us, Father. We thank you for giving him the ability to do that. Father, we worship together today, celebrating the crucifixion and the coming resurrection of Jesus for all that it means to us for the ability to live as you have fashioned us to live, for the ability to resist sin, for the ability to receive forgiveness. Father, for these things we thank you. Only you could do this through your son Jesus. We pray, Father, for our nation, that you would heal us physically and spiritually and emotionally. We pray that you'd be with those who still struggle against illness, guide the doctors as they treat them, Give them strength and hope. Father, we pray that 
around this world that we could stand together to fight against the foes that would divide us. Help us, Father, to be better than we are. Help us to love. Help us to forgive. Help us to give grace. As always, we pray for our first responders and those in the medical field, soldiers, firemen, EMTs, policemen. Use them to bring peace, to save lives, to bring justice. We struggle against justice, Father, for so many reasons. Give us humble hearts, hearts that love, hearts that are willing to be changed. Father, we love you, and we love you and follow you. We open ourselves to your spirit today, and we thank you for this life, not just the life of faith, but this life that we have in this great nation. Thank you, Father. Be with us now and teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, in any endeavor, no matter what you do, there's always something really important that kind of stands out in everything. I remember years ago, the first time I went scuba diving, I didn't take training. I just went with a friend who was a, a, a trained, licensed diver. He told me all sorts of things, and they were all very important. And some of you that have studied diving or talked about it, you know that there are a lot of things that are really important. It's one of those sports that's quite safe if you do it right, and if you do it wrong, you die. And it's really that simple. When I went diving with him, I was too dumb to know all these things, so I was just going to go in the water and be Jacques Cousteau and all those things. It was pretty cool. And he said something to me. He taught me how to use the buoyancy compensator, the vest, Taught me how to breathe and all those things. Taught me how to watch the watch for the time of areas. That those are all very important. I said, I got it. I got it. And I got kind of impatient with him because he thought I was like a dummy or something. And I was, but I didn't know that. And he finally said, Kevin, because he knew me. I was kind of arrogant. He said, okay, Kev, here's the deal. If you hold your breath and go up, your lungs will pop and you'll die. I said, wait, what? And I had never heard that before. And I didn't understand. He said, Kevin, when you hold your breath and you go up, the, lung exp the air expands in your lungs and your lungs will pop and you will die. And that got my attention. And all of a sudden, I was incredibly focused on don't hold your breath. The fish weren't near as interesting because I was worried about holding my breath. Now, after a few minutes, I got aware of what was going on around me. But I walked away from that experience thinking the most important thing to realize is don't hold your breath. Because if you do, that your lungs will pop and you'll die. And I didn't want to die. I wanted to talk about my experience. So in that experience, don't hold your breath was the most important thing. That's kind of a dramatic story. At least it was to me on that day. But it illustrates the idea that in every area of life, there are many important things. But there is usually the most important thing. So today, as we talk about following Jesus and being Christian and celebrating Jesus and what he did for us, we talk about one of those most important things, Jesus and his choice to go to Jerusalem. One of the most important things about the faith is that this is a faith based not on the fact that we're nice people, but on the fact that Jesus did something miraculous for us. And he had to make a very hard decision and a very difficult trip and subject himself to real suffering just for us. One of the most important things of our faith. So follow along with me. Paul talks to Timothy, a young pastor. 
and talking to him about how to live this life of faith and some things that he thought were important. And he finally gets to things that are the most important. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'll read the first six verses. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony, born at the proper time. So here Paul talks about living the Christian life, and he talks about a couple of things that are very important. And this is something he was telling the pastor. Now, this young pastor was Timothy. He had been schooled by Paul already. He wasn't an ignorant person. He'd been in the ministry for some time. And yet, Paul wrote this letter thinking maybe he's forgotten. Remember, Paul's letters were in response to situations and things that he had heard. So he heard something about the ministry going on that made him realize, maybe I need to remind this young pastor of things that are most important. It's easy. And I understand a pastor getting wrapped up in the important things of ministry. In my first church, it was important to talk about Jesus. In my first church, it was important to get there on time. There was a time that that was an issue for me, getting out of bed and getting there on time and all those kinds of things. It was important that I think before I talk. There was a time when that was an issue for me too. There was a time when I had to learn people's names and make that a discipline. There was a time I had to learn how to talk appropriately to women. And when I was in high school and college, that wasn't that big a deal. It was a different era, of course. And I had to learn that there was a way to talk to people that were different than me and talk about people that were different from me. So many things, and so I can understand how maybe the most important things could get lost because there's so many things that are important. Maybe Timothy, the young pastor, was struggling with what was most important. So Paul told him a couple of things that were most important. You can see these on screen. And one of the things that he talked about is, our lives are be filled with the practice of prayer. Did you see that? I urge that entreaties and prayers. First of all, before we get any farther, before we go any further on this, let me tell you this, start praying. So simply put, one of the most important things you as Christians are to be doing is to be developing this practice of prayer. Going to God in prayer. Interestingly enough, Paul doesn't say, just pray for yourself, does he? Pray, petitions and thanksgivings, on behalf of all men. And then he says this, look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So prayers for all men, whether you like them or not, is irrelevant. Whether they are colored like you or not is irrelevant pray for all men. And of course, you understand in ancient cultures, they just simply didn't refer to women. They didn't use feminine pronouns. So all men and women is what he means here. Pray for everybody. So in this church of people who were of different races, of different nationalities and ethnicities and all those differences that divide us, Paul said to Timothy, you remind them they need to pray for each other, everybody, not just the ones that are like you not just the ones that you like. Pray for all men and all who are in authority. So here's the kicker. These people hated their rulers. 
Everybody they knew that it was in, a, in authority over them was their enemy. You've got to understand that. They were not good people. These Christians to whom Paul was teaching in Timothy's church, they were struggling against the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire tolerated Christians only sometimes. It was very difficult to be Christian. So Paul said, what you have to do as Christian to follow Jesus is pray for these people. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their guidance and wisdom. Pray for their well-being. Fast forward. Think of that politician that just makes your stomach churn. Maybe he's an, a red-headed old man or a white-headed old man. Maybe he's a woman in office or something like that. You know who we're talking about. Everybody has a politician we love to hate. Let me ask you this. How many times have you prayed for them? And I don't mean just casually God smite them or run them down with a truck. I mean, how many, you know, we do that. We call them imprecatory psalms. But how many times have you earnestly prayed for politicians, those that have power over your life? You know, we live in this culture that we are surrounded by people who have power over us. Officers, doctors, politicians, soldiers. Do you earnestly pray for them? Paul says, you need to teach your people, Timothy, how to pray for people that they don't like. Pray for people that challenge them. Pray for people that tell them what to do. It doesn't matter if you like them or not. That is irrelevant. Pray for those people who are in power. That's your task. Christians, one of the most important things we can learn is that we are to be a praying people. Here's the thing. Paul had this crazy idea that prayer makes a difference. That prayer is one of the most powerful things you do. We have this thing going on in our culture that prayer isn't enough. Prayer is just sitting around. What we need to do is pass legislation. Praying is a waste of time. Nothing could be further from the truth. Regardless of the issue, one of the most powerful things you can do is pray. You don't like your politician, leader, people that are in power over you? Pray for them. Pray that God might change their heart. Pray that God might give them wisdom. You don't like the way they talk? Pray that God might give them control over their speech. Probably one of the greatest feelings of the church in America is we only pray for people that we like. We only pray for people that believe like we believe. That is a grave error. Pray for those in authority. One of the reasons is because it's good for us. It is good for you to pray for people that aren't like you. It teaches you that God loves them. One of the things we have to remember, God wants us to pray for all men. Why? Because he wants you to pray for all men. He wants you to love all men. And he wants you to care for all men, not just those in your circle. So when Paul teaches us this, speaking on behalf of God, he's wanting us to realize that there's a part of us that develops. We are better off when we pray for others. It is hard to hate when you pray for another. It is hard to hold prejudices against another when you pray for them. It is hard to despise them and gossip about them when you pray for them. You understand the hypocrisy of gossiping and ragging on someone behind their back and then going to God in prayer and praying for them, right? You understand that. You're smart people. Paul challenges us. He doesn't say you have to like these people. He doesn't say you have to agree with their politics. Nothing like that. Pray for them. Pray that God can work in their lives. Think of the worst politician you can imagine. Regardless of what he or she looks like, don't you think his life would be made better if he was submitted to Jesus Christ? 
Don't you think she would be a better politician if she submitted to biblical teaching? doesn't matter who it is or their color. People are always better when they pray. And our concern should always be for all those in power, regardless of whether we agree with them. Prayer makes a difference. It changes you. And it changes other people. One of the other things he says here, look at verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. To Jewish people who had followed Jesus as Savior, they could not believe that Gentiles were loved by God. That was one of the biggest problems in the early church. In fact, is that it threatened to split and destroy the early church because Jewish Christians hated Gentiles. And Gentile, the, world, the old world was divided from the Jewish perspective into Jews and everybody else. And everybody else was a Gentile. And the official line was, Jews hate everybody. Period. It wasn't racism, it was just pure hatred is all it was. Very religious, very God-honoring, they thought, and it was acceptable in their mind. When they got saved and followed Jesus, guess what they brought into the church? Hatred for Gentiles. So there were now Jewish people following Jesus, Christians in church, hated Gentiles, thought they needed to go to hell and told them so. And you know what happened? Gentiles started getting saved. And they responded to the gospel just like the Jews did. And they got saved. They received the Holy Spirit. Their lives began to change. They began to be filled with the Spirit and working in the Spirit and sharing their faith just like Jewish Christians. And it was a huge problem because Jewish Christians could not accept the fact that Gentiles could be saved. Maybe Timothy was struggling in a church where they were struggling with that issue. So he included this, God desires everybody to be saved. Not levels of salvation, not salvation for Jews and, and a different kind of salvation for Gentiles. Jesus for everybody. So when you see people on TV or you think of people that are different in our world, we need to understand that God loves them and he wants them to be saved. It's easy to believe that God loves all Americans. Of course he does. But how about the Arabs or the Islam Muslims around the world? How about those people in different parts of the country that, that want to kill us? Should we pray for their salvation? Of course. Does God want to save them? Of course. Does God love them absolutely just like you? Absolutely. There is no difference, folks. This was a huge thing in the early church. Fast forward 2,000 years. I'm not so sure we've overcome this. Even in our country, there are churches that teach hatred towards certain groups. Sometimes it's racial. Sometimes it's religious and otherwise. There is no justification for Christians hating those of another group. Jesus died to save them. One of the other things, you can see this on screen, that's an important truth. God has sent Jesus to serve as our mediator and savior. Mediator, you don't hear that term. It's a go-between. In ancient cultures, here was the understanding. It was based on reality. If you wanted to talk to the king or to a magistrate or somebody in power, you always got a lawyer to go with you. If not a lawyer, at least somebody in good standing with the leader. Because if you didn't, guess what happened? You died. Really. If you went and tried to talk to the king without a mediator, he would kill you. And he generally would, just because he didn't want to mess with commoners. So it was understood that you had to find a mediator, 
Sometimes it was a lawyer. Sometimes it was a lower-level magistrate. But it was just understood. You requested a presence with the king or the leader, and then you were accompanied by someone who would speak in your behalf. And many times you wouldn't even be allowed to speak. The mediator would speak for you, and you would just stand there. It doesn't make sense to us, but it was an understanding that literally everybody in the old world had. So God, in his wisdom, spoke in terms that people would immediately understand. So when Jesus is called mediator, he's not just talking about a religious function. He's talking about an understanding that everybody had. You can't just walk up to God in the old mindset and talk to him. You needed a mediator. So, look at verses 5 and 6 again, if you would. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. So this is where Palm Sunday comes in. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that's us. Jesus' goal at birth was aimed towards the cross. The older he got, the more aware he became of what his future held. When he made the decision to go into Jerusalem, his disciples decided to talk him out of it because they knew he was going to be killed. They knew he would be killed simply because of the political processes. The religious leadership and the government just wanted to get this rabble-rouser, this noisy preacher out of the way. And the way to do that was to kill him. And if they could kill him by hanging him on the cross, that would brand him as a traitor and a criminal, and it would mean that everybody would understand that he wasn't a good guy. And that was what they had to do. They not only had to get him out of the way, they had to make him look bad so people wouldn't follow him. Everybody understood this, and so did Jesus. Jesus was a smart guy. And yet he made that choice to go to Jerusalem. Now, the reason he did that is because he had made the decision to follow God's leadership. He knew that his death on a cross was what God wanted him to do. It doesn't matter whether or not you think it was the right thing to do or whether or not we fully understand God's reasonings. The bottom line was, this is what God wanted Jesus to do. And so the scripture teaches us that Jesus was obedient unto death. God said, this is what I want you to do. And so Jesus said, yes, I will do that. And in that process, he became our mediator he is the one by which we go to God. When you and I pray, how do we finish? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. That's our acknowledgement that Jesus is the mediator between man and God. When we pray in the name of Jesus, when we ask Jesus, Jesus, will you help us? God, will you work with us? You are acknowledging Jesus' role in you connecting with God. So we pray in the name of Jesus. We serve in the name of Jesus. We speak in the name of Jesus. Because he is our mediator. He is our connection with God. By following Jesus, we are connected with Father God. And this is clear from New Testament teachings. There was no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So says scripture. So Jesus is the way by which we reach God. Jesus' death on a cross was God's way of connecting with us. Now there's another term here that he mentions. And it's that idea of ransom. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for men. Again, he was connecting with the ancient culture. It's offensive to us, but in ancient cultures, slavery was a thing. Everybody knew who slaves were. 
most people in the New Testament era were slaves of some sort at some time, at least those in the church. The church was a slave organization. Not to all people, of course, but many people were slaves. In that culture, sometimes you were enslaved when the Roman government conquered your village or city. Sometimes you were enslaved when you got yourself in debt and you couldn't pay your debts. And so you would sell yourself into slavery, and it was just as horrible as it sounds. And you would become a slave for a certain number of years. Then after those years were worked as a slave, you would be, come out and be debt-free. Sometimes you were a slave because you wanted to become a Roman citizen and you couldn't afford to buy it. It was for sale, by the way. So what you do, you would sell yourself into slavery. And after a certain number of years as a slave, then you could become a Roman citizen. So slavery was just an economic thing to do. It wasn't necessarily race-oriented like it was in our own history's culture, culture's history. But it was something that everybody understood. And if you were a slave, the only way you could get out of slavery was either work out your full term or have somebody purchase you and set you free. The money that you used to purchase a slave and set them free was, guess what? Ransom. That's all it was. Sometimes in the term ransom gets caught up in the idea of someone being kidnapped. In ancient cultures, that wasn't the issue. A slave, to be set free, had to either work out their term or be purchased and they would be purchased, and the bondage of slavery would be broken away, and those people would go free. So you are smart enough to see the analogy here. The Bible teaches us that we are slaves to sin, that you cannot overcome the power of sin in your life, that you can't do anything by yourself because we are our own worst enemy. So what happens is, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for your freedom. He paid the ransom. And so all you have to do is receive that gift. So this is profound because Paul, to Timothy, was using language that people in that first century culture wouldn't understand. Fast forward 2,000 years, even though we don't buy and sell slaves, we say that as offensive. But the understanding is that when someone is enslaved to something, there is a ransom that can be paid by which they can be free. You and I know people who aren't Christian. They are good people. God loves them, and you may love them. And they are enslaved to their sin. They cannot overcome it. I have good friends, and so do you. Family. Their lives are train wrecks, and they cannot change those things about them that drag them down. They have self-destructive habits. They have out-of-control impulses. They can't control their tongue. And no amount of self-help can fix them. They don't need an education you know what they need? They need freedom from their sin. Jesus has paid that price. He gave his life as a ransom for all. It's a foreign concept, but what it means is everybody who wants to follow Jesus can. There is no one you will ever encounter that cannot be saved. It may be a stretch. You may not think it can happen, but people can be saved. You did. Some of you were raised in a church and your mom and daddy taught you about Jesus, and that's wonderful. Some of you did it the hard way. You grew up outside the faith and you stumbled in and God was able to reach you. God loves everybody just like you. When you look in the mirror, you are a sinner saved by grace. You are someone who's received your freedom from sin because Jesus died on the cross. When you hear about Palm Sunday, what you see is Jesus 
making a choice to sacrifice himself so you could be saved. And when you think about it, when you watch those terrible people on TV, whoever they are, when you hear about those politicians or those murderous soldiers on another country or something, Jesus died for them too. Remember, there is one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus can save. He's paid the ransom for everybody. Only Jesus paid the price. You don't have to understand everything. All you have to do is trust God to save you and lead people to the place where they trust God to save them. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, Palm Sunday. They didn't call it Palm Sunday. You remember the story. On a donkey, coming into town, they laid palms in front of him as if he were royalty. This was a huge risk of Jesus, and it got him killed. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Everything about that day was an affront to the justice system of that day. It was a way for Jesus to say, you are not in charge. I am. And believe me, the rulers understand what Jesus was doing, and this is why they orchestrated his death. Jesus challenged the understandings of the day. Jesus understood that only he could be the mediator, and Jesus willingly laid his life down so that you and I could be saved. On screen is this final idea Jesus' sacrificial entrance into the city and his crucifixion was the ultimate expression of God's love and grace for us all. So it's not just Jesus coming in and being recognized for being a nice guy. It's not just something that children do with palm fronds. It's kind of entertaining. We like all those things. It was Jesus' move to assert himself as king over all. It was God's way of asserting, I and I alone can save. And even more importantly, it's God's way of saying, I love everybody. And I want everybody to be saved. Let me challenge you this week. Understand that this Jesus who rode in to Jerusalem that one Sunday millennia ago did that for you. And he did it for your neighbor and he did it for all those other folk too. If you know them, Jesus died for them. If you don't know them, Jesus died for them. Whether you like them or not is absolutely irrelevant. Jesus did what he did for everybody. Make the decision to follow Jesus. Receive him as Savior. Make a daily recommitment of your life to him. Follow the one who paid the price for you. Would you stand with me? as Nate comes and leads us. Nate?
Dave's going to lead us in a closing prayer in just a moment. Uh, one announcement, remember that uh, many of you know that Dick McCall, one of our older members, passed this past weekend. His services will be tomorrow. Visitation is at noon at the funeral home just up on Nolan Road. And uh, there will be, it'll be restricted, so I don't know how many of you will be able to attend, but something like that. But uh, be in prayer for his family, if you would. We're glad you're here. Remember, come next week for Easter. Dave, would you lead us? From the letter of Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the throne of God, his glory, with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.